The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, well, we are continuing in our, in our series, The Story, right now. Um, and we'll get that slide up. Thanks, Tyler. And, uh, and we're, uh, we're continuing our series, The Story. And, and we're just about through the first half of the Bible, the, the Old Testament. We've got this week, and then we'll have two more weeks, and we'll have done uh, the whole Old Testament in the last five months. So if you've been following along, reading along, way to go. You're halfway there. Uh, and then this summer, we're going to be doing a few different things for our series, so, so look forward to those. Then in the fall, we'll pick back up. We're going to do the second half of the Bible. We're going to do the New Testament. And, and by the end of 2015, our goal is to have gone through the entire narrative of Scripture. And so I'm, I'm very excited for that for us as a church where we can say, hey, man, we know our story. We know what we're a part of. We're connected to this great work that, that God is doing. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, but for where we are at in the, the Old Testament right now, uh, if you've been with us, you know that, that we're looking at the nation of Israel uh, in particular. And one of the things we see in the nation of Israel is that for them, uh, things have really gone from, from good to bad to ugly, right? So for a while, the nation of Israel, things were doing well. They had good kings. David was a pretty solid dude. And then after that, we, we have a string of bad kings, and the nation actually splits in two, and they lead them into idol worship. And because of that, these outside forces, Assyria and then Babylon, conquer the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel, and then take the, the leaders of Israel, take those in the professional classes of Israel, and exile them into a foreign land. But where we're at in our text for today, things are actually starting to look up for the nation of Israel. Uh, Those that have been exiled for about 70 years at this point, uh, Persia has taken over. They're the new uh, dominant empire in the world. We're talking about uh, 580 BC or so. And and, uh, Persia, the, the king of Persia said, you know what, man, you guys don't need to be in exile anymore. You guys, you go back to your homeland, you can go back to your cities, you can go back to Jerusalem, and you can rebuild your lives, you can rebuild your homes, you can rebuild your cities. Let's think about this for a second. I mentioned these are people that have been away from their home for 70 years, right? So, So most anyone who could even remember what life was like before they were in exile is dead. Not everyone, but most everyone probably. And so what you've got is this generation of people who've grown up hearing the stories and singing the songs and knowing the traditions of their people, but never really being home, never really seeing the land and the homes and the houses and the livelihood that their parents and their grandparents had. They've never really seen it, and here they are going home, and soon they'll be able to experience it. Everything they've heard about their whole lives, they're going to be able to see Everything they've dreamed about for so long, they're going to experience with their own eyes. So you've got to imagine these folks going back from exile are very, very excited to go home. This longing for home is right there with them, right? And that makes sense. And I've and I got to tell you, I, I think this last year, I, I've gotten a taste of what these folks must have felt like. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, uh, my, my family and I, for the last year, uh, have lived in the upstairs of other people's homes. Uh, so we've been, uh, you know, just like little mice that, that live in the attic. And so, um, so that's, that's been our life for about the last year. And, and it's been pretty good. Carrie's? Yeah? Love it? You miss? I know. I miss you too. Uh, and uh, and uh, so, so it's been pretty good, all things considered. But, but let's be honest, it's not home, right? It's someone else's home. We're living in someone else's home. And it's, it's not bad. There's nothing wrong. But just like every family is different, right? Families have different styles. Family use their time differently. And, and you know this, whenever you go to someone's house everybody's house smells different, right? It's like that unique family scent, right? You ever go to that friend's house, and you're like, man, it smells weird in here. They think the same thing about your house, right? I mean, just so you know, right? 
Um, so it's just, it's just different. So for example, the, the family we live with right now, great people, love them to death, they're not, not part of our church, uh, but, but they're just different than us. For example, I, I came home from work the other day, and in the living room uh, was this thing that looked like a rake. And I, I went to the Luke, my, my friend who we live with, and I said, bro, what is this? And he said, oh, it's a carpet rake. Have you ever heard of a carpet rake? That was the craziest thing I've ever heard of in my life, right? That was just wild. And he rakes the carpet with it, and it looks all fluffy. It just blows my mind. Anyways, but, but anyways, so, but, but now, now, I don't have to worry about carpet rakes anymore, okay? I'm never getting one. I don't have to worry about them anymore. My, my family and I, we, we recently found a house, and we closed the second week of June, and we're, we're very excited about it. The Casper family exile is over, right? And, and i got to be honest, like, I've never really cared about where I lived. I, I just haven't. But now, now that I've been in exile, I care, man. I'm really excited. I just dream about the opportunity to wake up on a Saturday morning and only hear two kids screaming instead of five, right? I, I just can't wait until the day when I'm certain I'm not being judged because it's cereal for dinner night, right? Um, I, and, and, and I just can't wait to just blast some Jay-Z as loud as I want. You know what? Deal with that, mom and dad. Like, it's going to be great, right? So, so, so these are the things I long for. I'm looking forward to it. And so, don't get me wrong, I know I've got a lot of work ahead of me, but I have this deep longing to be in my own home. And I think in the same way, the children of Israel, this is where they're at. Right? They, they get home to Jerusalem. And they're so excited to be home. And we see the first thing they do is they get to work on God's temple. They're all pumped up and they get to work around and they say, man, we're home, but in order for us to be really home, we got to be connected to our God. In order for us to be really home, we want to worship the God we know and love and who's been present with us. We want to do it in the way that, that we know. And so they get to work on their temple and they build the foundation and they set up an altar. And just with that, right as soon as that's set up, they start worshiping God right away. But then... The HOA shows up, and, and the, the, the Samaritans and other nations surrounding Israel show up, and they say, hey, listen, welcome back, guys. Glad you're here, but listen up. Uh, things have changed since, since you've been gone, and you, you can't just come in and build your temple. You've got to get the right permits for it, and, and you've got, got to get that all squared away, and, and listen, you're, you're just kind of annoying us with your worship of your God, so just don't do that. We don't, we don't want there to be any trouble, okay? We're just saying, so if you guys back off the building for a little bit, there's not going to be any trouble, and, and just don't rock the boat. And so the Israelites get freaked out, and they say, all right, we won't rock the boat. We won't finish building God's temple. We won't finish setting up true worship of God in our context. We're not going to do that anymore. And they back away. They stop construction on God's building for 16 years. For 16 years. And so finally, God sends his boy Haggai. He sends his prophet Haggai to his people. And essentially, God says this to them. He says, hey, you guys are home, but you're not really home. You're still living like you're in exile. He says, you guys are, are back home, but you're really just living like you're in exile. You're home, but you're not home. Now, follow me here. This idea of being home, but not fully being home, of longing for something bigger, longing for something better, of trying to pursue something better, I don't think is unique to just Israel, ancient Israel in 520 B.C., I think it's actually a condition of the human heart. That every human being has this longing for home. This longing for something to be, or somewhere to be beyond us. Here's what I mean. Uh, just, just follow me with this. How many stories have you heard of someone who gets absolutely everything they ever wanted in life, and then they find themselves empty? Heard that story? 
a billion times over, right? How come, man, like when the best vacations and the best concerts and the best meals and the best evenings with friends, how come they always have to end? Right? Don't you just say, oh, man, why can't it just keep going? Why is, why is the queso always gone, right? There's never enough. It's never enough. Why do we feel like, like true joy and fulfillment are always just out of our grasp, are always just out of our reach? Why is that? Well, as always, the, uh, the great thinker C.S. Lewis offers a, a helpful perspective to this uh, condition in the human heart. He says this, I'll have it on the screen here. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy, satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. Now listen, there's some parts of this quote that I don't actually agree with totally, but his general premise is right. General premise is right on. He says, hey, we, we've all got this longing inside of us for a home that we've never had, for a home that's somehow beyond us. He says something that the greatest joys we experience in this world somehow don't seem to be enough, but they seem to be pointing to something bigger. They seem to be pointing to something beyond us. And of course, what he's talking about is eternity with God. Eternity with God. That every human being, whether they know it or not, is longing to be at home with God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. That deep down, we're longing for the day when all tears are wiped away, when all sickness is removed, when there's dancing and shouts of joy and there's friends and hugging and plenty of queso, right? That's what we're all longing for, whether we know it or not. It's this, this eternal homesickness that we have. The author of Hebrews says as much in, in Hebrews chapter 11. He talks about those who trust in God, and the author of Hebrews says this, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, this is true of us. We're, we're, we're home. Sure, God created us to be on this earth. But at the same time, we're still not really home. We're home and we're not home. We're, we're living in this tension. And so in our text for today, in the book of, of Haggai, what God does is he invites his people in the Old Testament to participate in three activities that will help aim them towards fully being at home. That will help keep their focus on fully towards headed home. And I think those three activities he gives to them will be very helpful for us as we think about heading towards our home. Three activities are this. Consider your ways, glorify God, follow the work of the Holy Spirit. Consider your ways, 
Glorify God, follow the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So let's go. Consider your ways. If you look with me in Haggai at verses 3 through 6, it says this. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now, I love this text, right? Because basically what's God saying? He's saying like, hey, you got home, you were excited to be home, you were excited to connect with me, and you built the foundation of the temple, and you were ready to worship me, but then the other nations showed up. And you got nervous, and you started listening to their voice instead of mine. You started to pursue your own things. Your priorities got all shifted around. You started to pursue your own house instead of mine. You got focused inward instead of on me. And God says, and how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? Man, you try to eat, but you're never full. You try to drink, and you're still thirsty. You buy all these clothes, and you're still freezing to death. And you're working for all this money, and it still is not enough. It's still slipping through the cracks. And so God says to his people, and he says to us, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Think about your priorities. Figure out your priorities. Let me say this. I've only been a pastor for, uh, like, coming up on three years here. And uh, without betraying any confidence, I've got to tell you, my, my pastoral counseling over the last few years has basically boiled down to this sentence. Consider your ways. That's it, man. So often, that's what needs to be said to people. Well, pastor, listen, my, my marriage is in a really rough spot. Well, why? Well, my wife says I'm never home. Consider your ways, right? Reassess your priorities. Get home. Well, my kid doesn't seem to know much about Jesus. Well, why? Have you talked to them about Jesus? Have you shown them what it looks like to follow after him? Well, no. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Reassess your priorities. Well, well, Pastor, listen, I really want to grow spiritually, and I want to have an awesome community to be a part of, but I don't really want to be a part of a church. Consider your ways. How's that working out for you? Or, Pastor, I really I want to care for those in need, and I want to spread the gospel, and I want to lead others, and I want to do all these things, but the reality is no one looks at the world like I do, and I just find other people insufferable. Consider your ways. What's, what's the common denominator there, right? Consider your ways. I, uh, I recently had a conversation with a friend of mine who's, who's not part of this church, and, and we were talking, he was telling me about some guy that had, had wronged him, and, uh, and, he's, and, and he knew what I was going to say. He's like, he's trying to figure out how he should resolve the conflict, and he knew I was going to go to Matthew 18, where, where uh, Jesus tells us to go one-on-one to the person who's wronged us. And, and so he just preempted me, and he just goes, Gabe, listen, I know Matthew 18, I should go to him one-on-one, but I just, I don't think that's going to work in this case. And in a rare moment of pastoral insight, I said, bro, your perceptions of what will work don't trump God's word, Right? You consider your ways. Reassess your priorities. See, it's, it's so easy for us to fail to focus on fully returning home. 
on keeping our trajectory that way because our priorities get shifted. Because it's so easy for us to turn inward. For life to become about our wants, our desires, our comfort. Me, me, me. I, I, I. And what you will find out, if you haven't found this out yet, is that a life focused on just yourself is the perfect recipe for a miserable, miserable life. Your longing to return home will never be satisfied in yourself. And see, that's why when Jesus comes to this earth, that's why his message is really, really simple. All he says is, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, consider your ways. Shift your priorities. You're turned inward. You're focused on yourself. Turn from that. Turn towards God. Consider your ways. Turn away from the patterns of life that aren't actually giving you what you're longing for. And seek first God's kingdom. Where ultimately all of your longings will be satisfied. Consider your ways. Repent. And as you repent, as you turn from yourself and instead turn to God, you will inherently do this. Point two, glorify him. Look with me at verse eight. God's speaking to the people of Israel and he says, hey, consider your ways. And then he says this. Now that you've considered your ways, verse eight, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. All right, so God says, consider your ways, turn from your self-centeredness Turn from living like you're the center of the universe towards seeing me, the actual center of the universe, as the center of the universe. Glorify me. And see, friends, this, this maybe sounds weird to our ears, but listen, this is why the gospel is good news. Because the gospel says, hey, you are a sinner in need of God's grace. You're a sinner in need of God's grace. That inherently, you're longing for a true home, you're inherently going to turn inward. You're inherently going to try and find that in yourself by putting yourself first, by putting everything you want first. But the good news of Jesus Christ is this. He calls you out of that. He says, hey, consider your ways. Repent. Turn from that. Turn towards home. You aren't going to be perfect. You aren't going to get all nailed down this side of eternity. But he says, through my cross, through my death on the cross for your sins, through my rising to new life, I have made a path for you to go home. Won't you just follow me on that path? Quit staring inward, turn towards me, and let me lead you home. Find your longings fulfilled in me. Find your longings in the home that I am preparing. You see, the gospel, what it does is it leads us to repentance. And when we get that, when we repent and we actually receive God's grace, we actually receive that, it leads us to inherently glorify him. It's just a natural gut reaction to experiencing the gospel. Uh, here's what I mean. Uh, this past Wednesday, I was teaching our confirmation students, and uh, I was teaching them about forgiveness, and I was talking about um, the forgiveness that God gives to us through, through Jesus' death on the cross. And, and whenever I talk about that, I, I like to explain it to them kind of in monetary terms. And so I just kind of put it like this. It's like, hey, so it's as if, we, it's as if you owed God just a ton of money, right? You just owed him gobs of money. And on the cross, and you know, God says you got to pay up, right? With interest, you got to pay up. And on the cross, Jesus steps in and he says, hey, don't worry about that. I'll pay the debt for you. I'll cover the cost. I'll pay your bills. Your debt's completely taken care of. Hey, and don't you worry about paying me back. Don't worry about paying me back. I just took care of it for you. So I tell that to our confirmation students. And one of them, I won't mention who, 
brilliantly said, yeah, but, but Gabe, when, when that happens, like, like if I have a friend who loans me some money and just says, don't worry about paying me back, I said, I, I just always have this feeling like I want to do something for them. Like I know they don't want the money back, but, but like I want to do something. I want to I help them out or I want to serve them or I just want to say thank you to them in some way for, for giving me this money. Exactly, right? Exactly. God leads the children of Israel out of exile and so they build him a temple. See, Jesus makes a way for you to get home. Jesus leads you home, and so it only makes sense that you would glorify him. And you say, what does that mean to glorify him? It means to make him great, to make him a big deal, to make him the center of your life. That's how it works. You live a life centered on him. You put him number one, and someone says, well, how do I do that? What does that look like? You follow the work of the Spirit. Follow the work of the Spirit. Look with me at verses 12 through 14. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. All right, so God comes to the Israelites, and he says, hey, it's time for you guys to fully come home. So first of all, consider your ways. Figure out where you're veering and start turning towards home. And then glorify me. And he says, and now let's build this temple. Let's do work, son. I love it, though, because God doesn't just say, hey, build my temple, get to work. Now, what's the first thing God says? Verse 13, I don't have it up there right now. But verse 13, the first thing God says to them is he says, I am with you. He says, I'm with you. And then his spirit moves them toward the work of building its temple. Now, this is very important for us to understand. He says, I'm with you, now let's go. See, For the path home, God first shows up with his presence, and then he gives us his power. Right? On the path home, God gives us his presence, and then he gives us his power. Now, here's why this matters. Before Jesus ascended to the Father in Acts 1-8, he gave his followers instructions on what to do next, what work they were supposed to do. And he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, right? So he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and then you're going to go from this place, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. That's his promise. The Holy Spirit comes first, and then you do my work. When the Holy Spirit comes, when God's presence shows up, then you'll go. Now, you may not know this, but today, uh, in the, the church calendar, which we follow extremely loosely, uh, is, uh, is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is a, is a, a Sunday uh, around the world and throughout centuries that people have celebrated that Jesus' promise here actually happened. That people celebrate that, that Jesus says, hey, go be my witnesses and the Spirit's going to come upon you and empower you to do that. We celebrate that it actually happened, that the church was born and empowered those people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And here's the deal, we're proof of that. Right? We're proof of that. The first Christians didn't even know North America existed, right? Let alone that centuries later, a small church would gather together in Leander, Texas, right? But God empowered his people. 
His Spirit came upon them and they took the gospel to the ends of the earth. They did the work of the Spirit. And now thousands of miles away and centuries later, guess what? His Spirit's still doing that work today. His Spirit's still doing that in His church today, that He's present with us right now, that He's present in you right now. That the Spirit came that first Pentecost and He never, ever left us. Is that work in us right now? And see, if, if we actually saw that as true, like if, if you look at yourself and you're like, man, that is just true. God's spirit of the living God is at work in the church. He's at work in my life. If I actually saw that as true, if I saw it as true in me, it would change everything. But so often, I, I think we don't, and we miss it, and so nothing changes. Uh, the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard tells a parable about how this works. I love it. He says, all right, so this is how the parable goes. There's, there's a town with nothing but ducks in it. And, uh, and these ducks, every Sunday morning, they, they get up and they, they waddle to the duck church. And uh, they go in and they, they sit in their duck pews. And, and out comes the, the, the duck choir and they have their duck robes on and they, they sit down. And then uh, the duck pastor comes out and he opens up his duck Bible. And he reads from it and then he begins to preach. And he says, ducks, you can fly, ducks. You've got wings. Man, with those wings, you can fly like eagles. No wall can contain you. Nothing can slow you down. You can fly, ducks. And all the ducks shout, amen, amen, amen. And then they waddle home. Tracking, okay? Now, I love that story because it's so convicting, right? See, if, if, if you actually trust that the Spirit of God is doing his work through us, that the Spirit of the living God is actually at work in His church, in His people. That God's Spirit is actually at work in you. Like, if you get that, if you actually see that as true of you, how could you not be empowered to take the gospel everywhere? How could you not be empowered to love and serve those that God places in your path? How could you not be empowered to go about his work? See, the presence of God is at work inside of you. And so let me just end our time here. There's a little bit of a challenge. If, if you're looking at your life right now and you say, ah, okay, Gabe, I, you know, I guess I'm a Christian, but I'm not really glorifying God. I'm not really in tune with the, the work of the Spirit that God sent me to do. I just don't, I don't, I'm not feeling that right now. Let me just encourage you to go back to the first step. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. There are things in your life you need to repent of and leave at the cross of Jesus. Have him take those. And then get in touch with his spirit and live a life fully aimed towards coming home. And so may we all find our longings for home satisfied in him. It's the only place for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you will one day renew this whole world. That the fleeting pleasures of this life will be lasting pleasures. Even better than we can imagine. But Lord, as we wait for that day for our true home to be here, I pray that you'd help us to live lives headed towards that. We live lives of service and love. We live lives of gospel proclamation that we'd be guided by your spirit. Lord, help us to see that your spirit is still at work in us today. Help us to trust in that. 
Help us to take the gospel of Jesus forward. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.